Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. I hope all is well with everyone. And if it isn't, I hope it will be shortly. For those of you who have joined us, we have been going through the parables of Jesus. These are specific teachings that Jesus might have shared with small groups or larger groups. Last week we talked about the parable of the two debtors where there was two individuals. One had a greater sum of debt and one of them had a lesser sum of debt and yet both were forgiven. And then the question was, who do you think had a greater appreciation of the forgiveness of their debt? And the answer was, of course, the one who had a greater sum of debt. This morning, if you would like to turn with me, I'm going to be in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 25. I will be personally reading from the ESV, but please pick a translation of your own. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart. Yeah, Braveheart. A heart that is brave. It is a classic. It is a movie that will probably remain a classic for a very long time. It is a, you know, for those of you who know, they're like, yeah, we already know this. But for those of you who do not know it, it is about a, a man by the name of William Wallace. And he stirred a, a huge movement to fight for the independence of the, of the country of Scotland from the evil English. And at the end of the movie, towards the end, he gets captured and he is convicted of, you know, being an enemy of the Church of England and so forth and so forth. And he is sentenced to death. And the judge that was there, as he is on the uh, table to die, to be tortured, he says, all you have to do is but one thing. You just got to do one thing and you will live. Actually, at the beginning, he says, all you have to do is kiss my robe, say that you're no longer going to be doing this, kind of recant everything that he's done, and you'll be spared. And William Wallace says, no, I'm not going to do that. And the torturing commences, and it gets worse and worse, and the leader there continues to remind him, all you have to do is say, mercy, and it will be given to you. And he doesn't. He stays strong. He succumbs to the torturing. He allows it to continue. And, and finally, towards the very end, you have what happens. The entire crowd, everybody there, starts to yell, what, on behalf of William? Mercy. Mercy him. Show him mercy. And William begins to speak, and the crowd's hush. And what does he say? Can anybody give me the one word that he says? Freedom! Yeah, freedom. Freedom. Because William Wallace knew, he he. he he knew that if he recanted what he was doing, 
then everything would have been for a waste. And he knew one grave truth. He would not be free. Mercy can be given to anyone. But the question that he, and, and the thing that William Wallace wanted to know was whether or not he would have freedom. And that man there who was about to take his life was not the man that could give it to him. Mercy. What is mercy? What's the difference between mercy and grace? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is it and how does it shone? You know, I think the world, it's like that, 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 uh, that old song that, that's sung over the radio, you know, what the world needs now is love. You know, whatever that, I, I, I'm so terrible with music. That's why I don't sing out here. But really what we need is mercy. We need mercy in this world because mercy comes out of so much, so many of other things. Grace, compassion, love. That's mercy. I'm going to read to you all again in chapter 10, starting in verse 25. I only have two points, so maybe this will be a quick message. I don't know. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided, approved to be the neighbor to the man who had fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Yes. Let's pray. Father God, we live in a world that begs us to question, where are you at times? We live in a world where we can see utter chaos, frustrations, confusions on the daily basis. And we ask you, O oh Lord, to enlighten us the joy of your salvation. That God, whether we come here and everything is great, or we come here and, and, and we're angry, we're, we're bitter, we might have some sort of Hatred in our hearts. 
Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself in a powerful way because you are a God of compassion. You are a God who understands the very secrets of our sins and our secret struggles that we are too prideful to share to others. God, you are the God who hears our cries in the corners of our rooms. You are the God who provides all things to us. And I pray, oh Lord, that your word, that this message is acceptable to you and that this church responds well to it. And it is in your name do we pray, amen. amen. We see everybody's favorite character in life. The favorite, you know, if there's one person that you want to talk to on a daily basis, we see in this context. And who is this person that we all love? A lawyer. That's a joke. Who here loves lawyers? I actually don't mind them. I, they're good people. They're good people. But notice what he does here. Now this is a slightly different parable because the parable comes out of a conversation, a question. And like you, I have presented many questions to God. And like you, perhaps I have been a lawyer trying to justify myself within that conversation. We see here, starting in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Well, right there we know the status of the man's heart. He was trying to test God. Have you ever thought that you were the smartest person in the room and you were like, well, actually, Sergeant, the Army regulation states this. And the sergeant says, that's an outdated copy. Go and do what I've just ordered you to do. <clears throat> right? Have you ever tried to prove yourself? And how often does that work out to benefit you in the long run? Because right there, your intentions are present. And behold, a lawyer stood up. He was unashamed of the question. And so this is a confident man, and there's nothing wrong with being confident. Put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to, in to inherit eternal life? That is a profound question. That is a good question. If you have ever thought you cannot ask God an honest question, I'm sorry to say you have been misled. God enjoys honest questions. He is a God who has given us an a a avenue through two different ways for those questions to be asked. One is through prayer. You have an avenue to access God through prayer, these honest questions. And the second avenue is his church. To be able to come before mature believers and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this thing. How do I manage my faith during this time? Well, hey, let's talk about it. Hey, let's pray about it. And wow, do I, I put this in, in, in the boat. I do not access prayer as often as I should. Or perhaps I do not have honest things to ask God for. Maybe they're selfish. Now Jesus does the best thing that any leader should do. Okay, you've asked me this great, simple, easy answer question. How do you inherit eternal life? What is, how does Jesus respond? Well, tell me, lawyer, how do you read it? Understand who he's talking to. 
He is talking to an individual who has read the law through and through and through and through and through. This man was a, was a certified SME, a subject matter professional on the law of God. And he said, well, hey, how would you answer this question? What does it make sense to you? Well, his answer is likewise very solid. Look, look at his answer there. In the middle of verse 27, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, hey, you've answered correctly. Man, this would have been a short, teachable moment if the lawyer wasn't thinking about himself. If the lawyer would have heard from Jesus... Hey, you've answered it correctly. You get a gold star for the day. You got it. You got it all figured out. The lawyer would have been like, swag. Let me sit down and let me keep it my life lit. Maybe that's not the way that you use that modern word. But the lawyer didn't do that, did he? We know in verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, that's not a bad question either. That is a good question to ask if it was an honest one. That is a question to saying, okay, um, but who is my neighbor? That's not a bad question because in my mind, if I were to say, well, who's my neighbor? Well, it's the Collett family. It's the Greenleaf family. It's the people who I live literally right next to. And my question to you is, do you know who your neighbors are? That's a great self-reflection question. Do you know them? Do you know them? Just literally the, who your physical neighbors are, whether you live in a barracks dorm. I met a soldier one day who never knew his sweet mate in the barracks. I was like, what do you do? Well, I just go into my room and I just shut the door and I lock it. Well, who are you locking it from? My sweet mate. Well, have you ever talked to him? No. Well, how do you know you need to lock the door from him? Well, he's scary looking. Well, so are you on Monday mornings, but everybody is. But I mean, come on now. Look, we should know our neighbors, shouldn't we? But in verse 29, we see the heart of the, of the lawyer. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to, to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is the beginning of the parable. And this comes to our first point. Our first point, and I don't have it, so I'm going to do a fallacy here. I'm going to turn and read my first point because I forgot how I articulated it. Our first point is to justify provides sleep at night but provides no peace for the soul. Every single one of us wants to justify why we do whatever we do. We try to justify, we try to give a reason as to why we're doing what we should be doing. We make this decision throughout the entire day. Because the reality is, we hate it when we're wrong. I mean, I used to stammer. I still do. That's why I don't like public speaking. I'm terrible at it. I don't like it. I get so nervous. And it is so easy for me to justify not 
speaking before, I don't know, a handful of people because I stammer and stutter. I get nervous speaking in front of people. Every single Sunday that I preach, it's the same thing. When I speak before the battalion during multiple Mondays or whenever, I get nervous while speaking. Why? Because I know I have a stammering, stuttering problem. I, th I don't think before I speak. That's how I get into trouble. It is easy for me to justify why I should not do something. And it is even easier to justify, well, this is really why I did that. Isn't that the source of most arguments? Isn't that the source of what happens? Well, you did this. Well, no, honey, that's not what I meant. And then you go on this justification of you were wrong, and let me explain again how I am right. Because you weren't paying attention, sweetie. To justify is an adjective that explains why you deserve something. And what he was trying to justify, this lawyer was trying to justify why he had earned eternal life. Because think about what he quoted for those of you who know. When he says, love your Lord your God with all your heart, might, soul, strength, that is part of the Jewish Shema found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is the most paramount verse. Matter of fact, when a child goes through a program, when a, when a boy would do it, it would be called a bar mitzvah. Have you ever heard of that? A bar mitzvah. What that literally means is bar is Aramaic for son. Mitzvah is Hebrew, actually, for law. And the direct translation now means son of the law, saying, I am now going to quote and read for you without any error the entire chapter of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And at the end of that, I am now a man. And if it was a daughter, it would be a bat mitzvah, because take a guess what the word bat means. It means daughter. And so what would literally... Uh, happened there is you were now an adult at age, uh, at age 13. Parents, did you hear what I just said? The child was an adult by the age of 13 and no longer were the sins of the child on the parents but on them. And so what the lawyer is saying is I have just quoted what has made me a man and I have quoted why I act the way I do. But he was trying to justify why he should inherit eternal life. Not by everybody else's actions, but by his own. Let me tell you why the parable starts. If you read in Romans 3, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to annotate this in your notes, Romans 3, verse 20, 21, But now the righteousness of God has been, ma been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Let's look at Titus. Titus chapter 3. Where am I? Verse 7. I'm going to start in verse, uh, <clears throat> in 
in verse 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now listen to this. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of what? Eternal life. You see, what the lawyer was trying to do was justify why his own actions gave him the freedom, gave him eternal life. He was trying to say, okay, I have this great teacher. I want to know whether or not I'm good enough so I can sleep at night. And then Jesus gave him a parable, and I wonder if he had the peace for his soul. When we justify... It is a legal aspect of whether or not I can reason or logically think whether or not I did something correctly because I don't want to be held liable. Does that make sense? And that's what a lawyer does. In every single court case, that is literally what a lawyer does. He justifies either the law against the person or the actions of the person. And the lawyer was trying to justify his actions and the law for his own eternal life. Isn't that what we all do? Isn't that what we all do? And the question is, do we sleep at night? There's a difference between knowing that we're not wrong and knowing that we have the peace and mercy from God, from our spouse, from our children, who here was like frantic coming to church? I kind of was. I even, I'm going to use this example for later on in the message. Let's continue because my ADD is kicking in. All right, so now we're going to go to point two. <laughs> What's the parable? The parable gives us three other individuals. We have a priest, we have a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now, understand that Jesus is probably talking to a lawyer who is Jewish. And for those of you who do not know, the Jews and the Samaritans, they were racist enemies against each other. Samaritans were viewed as half-breeds. They weren't even viewed as human beings. Okay? You might recall the, the, the woman at the well where all of Jesus' disciples were like, mm, you sure you want to go through Samaria? You know who's there? Samaritans. Did you know that, Jesus? We should go around. And Jesus was like, no, there's one person that I have to speak to. And who was that? The woman at the well. And boom, a revival happened because Jesus even notices the one person. The reality is, is that you have a, a Levite who, again, listen to what I'm about to say, by the law wasn't wrong. By the law, by the Old Testament, if a Levite would have touched this man who was broken, bleeding, almost to death, then the, then, then the priest would have been unclean and could not have conducted his faithful duties. Likewise, the Levite. Well, what's the Levite was supposed to do? A Levite's job, sole job in life, was just to worship the Lord. But again, according to the law, if he would have touched him, could he have fulfilled his duties? No. So according to the Old Testament, the priests and, and the Levite, they were correct. Oh, there's a dude struggling. 
buddy, I pray for you, but I can't touch you. Because if I touch you, then I'm unclean. It's like when somebody asks us for help. Mm, I can't really help you right now because I'm late to do this other thing that I need to do. What are we doing? We're justifying. But there's a Samaritan. And this is like this great masterful piece of Jesus being who he is. Talking to a lawyer who knows all the law. Can you just imagine the lawyer's faith? But a Samaritan, a Samaritan helped this man? Oh my God. Samaritans can be kind? What? I didn't know that. But what did the Samaritan do as he journeyed? So the Samaritan was already doing something. Did you catch that? But the Samaritan, was, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer replied, The one to whom showed mercy. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. My point, too, is this. It's a simple point, but I think it's a profound one. I have to read it again. Receiving or giving mercy helps us to live in this world. Receiving or giving, was there ever a moment that you knew you received mercy from somebody? You knew you deserved something far harsher than what you received. But somebody bestowed mercy. What's mercy? You notice that mercy is not a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, long-suffering, all that. Now, a single one of them is mercy, and yet most of them require mercy in order to show it. Because mercy is an act. Look at Micah 6.8. For our God, O oh man, has shown you what is good. To love mercy and to walk humbly, actually to love justice, to seek mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To love justice, seek mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Church, I will tell you, we must be a people who are quick to give mercy to those who don't know and those who do know Jesus. Because if there's one thing that the church utterly will fail at doing the one thing that Satan loves is an unmerciful believer. The one thing that Satan loves is when I don't show mercy. And I'll tell you, it's easy not to. For those of you who have kids, it is like, man, the very first thing, it's like, you know, have you ever seen the movie Venom? It's like there's that alien thing living inside me. I told you to get 
your cup of water now. Even there's a term in the South. If you're from the South, you might hear it. And it's saying like this, mercy. But you have to say it like that. You have to say it, mercy. Because because it doesn't just sound right. You're like, oh my goodness. All this stuff is going on in my life. Mercy. Because that's what we need. That's what reminds us that we're human. That reminds us that that person who made that mistake is human. Mercy is not. Well, my wife knows the important job I have as a chaplain, so I don't have time to wipe the pee off the toilet before I leave for work. She knows. I don't need to clean my shaved hairs in the sink. That's not mercy. Mercy is not, child, I've asked you to do this 50 million times, and now your punishment is this, 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 this. But, Daddy, I'm only four. I don't care. You've broken the last straw. And in the background, I hear the crowd calling my wife, Mercy, show your child mercy. What's the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is someone else paying the price for the debt, for the punishment that is needed to be paid. Mercy is giving it abundantly free. Giving what? Kindness, compassion, love, care, patience, long-suffering, What is mercy? It is the act of the Spirit working inside of us saying, there is not a cost to be paid. Church, myself included, if you ever want to see a dead church, let's just ensure we believe that we are always in the right. And the ones that don't sound like us, don't meet this certain litmus test, that they cannot be redeemed. Mark my words, in one month, you yourself won't even want to be in this room. The gentleness of mercy is given graciously, is given softly, and yet it is one of the most powerful things to do. Because mercy is. Okay, buddy, let me help you out one more time with this. Okay, I see that you're struggling. Let me help you out with this. You know what? Let me take the kids out and give you a break. Mercy is saying, you know what? I think we really need to help that couple over there because they're really struggling. Mercy reminds us we must be in tune with the world or else we won't know it. The whole world 
used to revolve around the church. Right or wrong, the entire world used to revolve around the church. The church used to be the very cornerstone of every single town, city, laws were made. We even have a law today called what? The Good Samaritan. And it wasn't just a good idea that made it up. It was because somebody knew this. Our founding fathers quoted the Bible more than any other philosopher or lawmaker. There used to be a time where the church was open to everyone and yet still taught and preached the word truthfully and honestly. I think what helped with that was mercy. And what happened? Let me give you a clue. The most quoted Bible verse 40 years ago was the truth shall set you free. Does anybody know what is the most quoted Bible verse today? Judge not or else you will be judged. We have moved from a community where people used to know their neighbors to now a legal aspect of life. I cannot tell you how many times as a chaplain I will talk to a commander and they say, well, that's a good idea, but I think it's a little too risky. And there's such a hesitation to do anything. Even when this chapel decided to do our monthly movie nights, thank you for those who came out last Friday. It was a ton of fun. I had conversations, sidebar, offline conversations with people. Well, what if somebody doesn't like the movie? What if there's something that's, you know, inappropriate? Well, then let's just not do it at all. Let's just open up these doors and expect you all to show up. No, that's not what the church should be. And so we started offering movie nights. So then we started offering date nights for couples. And then we started building tiny homes for the homeless. And there were all these voices that were like, yeah, but wait a minute. Um, what, what if and, and, and should have and, and couldn't we have done it like this? Well, yes, but this is how we're doing it. Why? Because we, the leadership of this chapel, strongly believes that this chapel service should be part of the community to the people, to you all. It is easy to be filled with the distractions of what could have justified a mistake. The very first device that started to break down the community in America, does anybody know what it was? Go ahead and shout out what you think. What inventions do you think started to break down the community? The television, the radio, the cell phone, the internet. TikTok, Wi-Fi. Does anybody know what it is? It was the air conditioner. You know why? Well, my hair feels nice and crisp. I think I'm just gonna stay indoors today. You know what people used to do? Sit on the front porch, drink some tea. You had an entire architectural designing of homes for cross breezes. And now you have cut up houses so that the air conditioner doesn't leave. You have people outside always mingling, always doing. 
So you knew who was where and who was who. And then when the AC came around, then we're like, well, this electric bill is getting high, so let me shut this window and close these curtains. And then you're like, well, I don't know if they're home. Because where do you put the TV? You generally don't put the TV in the front of your house. By the way, most of you actually have a front door. You may not know you have a front door. You may never use your front door. But there was a time where the family would, would be at the front of the house because where was the kitchen? In the back of the house, and what was the hottest point of the, ki- of, the ha- of the house? The kitchen. So you weren't in the back of the house. You were in the front. But where do you put the TV? In the back of the house because you don't want anybody to ring your door. And now you got thick curtains. The air conditioner was the first invention that utterly destroyed the community. And we're okay with that. I hope we're not. We are quick to say, no, I don't need this person. I don't want to do that. You and I live in a military community. Just had a conversation with a couple last night. Some dear friends of ours who said, you know what? A deployment is one thing. You kind of get used to it as a spouse, as a family. But all the moves, (sighs) they're exhausting. There's so much that you have to do. And you have to build up a whole new what? Community. Man. And now I have to tap into the what? The mercy fund. Because now I have to start dating friends. That's what you really do. When you, when you meet new people, it's kind of like this weird date. You're like, no, those people are weird. I don't think I'm going to hang out with them anymore. <laughs> no, no, that, 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 man, I just can't talk with that person at all. Or, you know what? We're driving. Or mercy comes into play and say, hey, we may not agree with every little thing, but gosh darn it. I need a friend and you need a friend. Jesus says one little reminder to the lawyer. You go and do likewise. I pray that we are a people. I pray that we are a church. I pray that we are a group of husbands, a group of wives, men, women, daughters, and sons that can be quick to show mercy, quick to show compassion in a world that is far too quick to judge. Because it's easy to cancel somebody. It's easy to state why you can't or why you were in the right. But it takes the working of the Spirit of God to remind us all that mercy should be given Because mercy was given to you. Just as the scripture reading today was without love, I'm nothing more than a noisy gong. And I pray that we are much more than just a noisy gong to our physical neighbors, to our literal neighbors, and to all the ones that we come across in our life. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a compassionate God to our ignorance and to our arrogance. God, let us be a humble people, a people that is quick to show mercy to those around us, those that are far and those that are close, those that we have known and those that we don't. 
Because you have made us in your image and therefore you've made all of us in your image. And that image desires, that image requires a grace and a love to it and a value placed upon it. And let us provide mercy to that. And in your son's name do we pray. Amen.